Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss the dark side of the fumes, an update on the Colonial Pipeline incident. Next up, Irish Health Service on life support. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 86, recorded on May 17th, 2021. I'm your co-host Kelsey, a slip of the pun label. With me, co-host Chad, threat intel leprechaun Anderson. And last but not least, Tim, please don't go to the dark side helming. <laughs> Welcome, you two. Chad, you're awfully tall to be a leprechaun. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I, uh, a leprechaun with gigantism. I'm on the, uh, the uh, Andre the Giant of leprechauns. Truly a giant <laughs> among leprechauns. <laughs> they need someone to carry the pot of gold home, you know? That's <laughs> very important. Yeah. Otherwise, what was all that work for? They weren't chasing waterfalls. They were chasing rainbows. That's why, you know, that song is important. Was that TLC that came out with that for a while a while ago? Do I have that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they okay. have you stick to the uh, rivers and lakes is to keep you away <laughs> from the most likely spot where the uh, um, pot of gold will be. <laughs> That's how they get you. <laughs> yeah, little known. <laughs> little known fact. Oh, man, somebody said something to me once um, when I said, like, I'm really sure. I think I was way back in the day. I went to school at, in Eugene, Oregon, and I worked at the Nike running store there. And I had trouble getting a shoe off one of the top racks. And I was helping this tall gentleman. And he said something like, do you know what they say about short people? And I was like, no, I, I don't. And they were like, last people to get rained on and first ones to drown. And that sums up being short pretty well, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> Gets me every time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, let's let's get into it. Of course, we have our classic two discussions we're going to have about what's happened in this past week, and then we're going to get into two truths and a lie. So um, we have the dark side of the fumes. So the Colonial Pipeline had roughly uh, $5 million in ransomware that they paid out. And we did a breaking news segment on this last week. Um, Tim, can you do your breaking news broadcast <laughs> By the way, that, that's just E I E I E I over again in Morse code, but that's what they, uh, that's kind of the Morse code they use for those fake sound effects never makes any sense. Is that the uh, origin then of the uh, the farmer song? E I E I O? I think so. Yeah, there must have been some set of animals that, that went. The classic Morse hawk. The uh, I, I think it was, you know, maybe a couple of chickens and something else. And then something went <laughs> moo, moo, moo. I don't know. Yeah, you would actually just That's set a chicken guess. in front of the uh, the dial there and it would just tap it at the right pace. That could, uh, that could be the, the case too, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm sending this to Nat Geo after we're done. Wow, did we derail your introduction there, Kelsey. <laughs> No, this is what the people need to hear. I think we're doing some important education around the background of <laughs> Morris Code broadcasting and, noise. and silly and silly news sounders and silly news sounders. Well, you know, Tim, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't take that tone with me. 
yeah. Well, anyway, so yeah, we had the the breaking news segment, and we didn't really know much well as to what was happening last week. So today, we're hoping to dive a little bit deeper, and that's probably a great place to start. So where where have we, or I should say, what have we learned since we last spoke on this podcast, Tim? Right. So, well, first, the, first of all, the pipeline has been coming back online. And as you'll recall, the shutdown was deliberate uh, as a containment measure and just out of an abundance of caution. So while it's possible that Colonial could have kept the operation up, given that the ransomware uh, was on the IT side of the house as opposed to the OT or operational technology side, in my opinion, they were smart to do what they did because, uh, as we'll get into a little bit later, the IT and OT sides of the house aren't really completely separated. So, um, and there are a couple of other developments that we'll uh, we'll talk about here as well since since we first started talking about this last week. Yeah, and um, I'm burying the lead a little bit, but what do we know about this group, Dark Side? Yeah. that's involved with this ransomware attack? Well, they're a relatively new group or um, more like a collection of affiliated groups. And they first seem to have shown up around August of last year, 2020. So cyber crimers, or as we like to say, cyber scrimers, uh, use DarkSide for encryption and to gain access into victim resources. And you know, as all the cool kids are doing these days, not that I'm saying they're cool, but uh, it's an as a service model. So ransomware as a service in this case. And uh, they've done some PR in the sense that they have said that they would avoid certain kinds of organizations like uh, healthcare, education, public sector, nonprofits. And as you probably guessed, if you're listening to me read off that list, funeral services, Uh Naturally. Flashpoint, yeah, we, that's what you think of uh, among the uh, ones that are protected from ransomware. But anyway, Flashpoint, which is a cyber intel company that some folks are probably familiar with, says that um, DarkSide is also a big game hunter outfit. So meaning they go after large organizations that presumably have deep pockets to pay uh, big ransoms. I appreciate you spelling out as a service model, because otherwise, if you were to truncate that, it wouldn't sound very good. No, it might, um, be, might be problematic. <laughs> probably. <laughs> so do we know then how this dark side group, I, I just can't say that, dark side, how do they successfully ransom, um, or I should say, successfully carry out a ransomware attack on the Colonial Pipeline? Sure, yeah. Well... In the sense of, you know, what was it that made Colonial pay the ransom when other organizations did not? I don't think that's known. Um, at least I haven't seen anything that indicates that, you know, clearly we can tell they were under a ton of pressure to get all the jet fuel and diesel and gasoline flowing again uh, so that people would stop filling gas, uh, plastic bags with gas. Actually, by the way, that's been uh, debunked. That, that video was from before. Uh, this event happened, but I digress. Uh, they were there was a lot of pressure on them to get things opened up again. And uh, but you know, if you think about other organizations that have gotten hit with ransomware, they're under pressure too. Uh, like we've we talked about hospitals here and there, and uh, there it can literally be life and death. So the pressure aspect of it is not um, 
not unique to uh, colonial. But anyway, I, I, I don't know. I imagine it's a combination of, you know, what happened with the data as well as the pressure that they were under that made this a, uh, a successful attack. And speaking of, there, uh, I'm assuming are implications to the colonial pipeline folks paying the ransomware. Um, so what, what, what does this mean? for future attacks and what are the regulatory repercussions of them going through and, and paying them off? Yeah, these are huge questions. Um, these are the questions that are being asked. And, you know, I'm not um, really going far out on a limb here to say that there are other organizations that are also paying the ransom in some cases, and that's not going to just go away. Um, but, you know, there's this fear that this payment will embolden uh, other ransomware actors. And every time one of these things pays off, of course it does. Um, and as far as regulatory uh, action, you know, that's hard to say. It's going to um, take a while to develop and it's going to differ in different jurisdictions. And I, there's no obvious, you know, kind of regulatory outcome or, or, fallout from this that we're seeing so far, but don't be surprised to see um, some changes. Now, there was the executive order uh, that President Biden made um, a few days ago, uh, and so that will have potentially some effect. I think it was a it was a good first step, but, you know, there's much more to follow. Now, the question that I want to ask, and this is sort of like, I'd like to get this on a bracelet or it, to go through everyone's mind, but like, what would the ransomware task force say? <laughs> yeah. Well, Kelsey, there are uh, about 70 pages of what they'd say, uh, which we covered a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't think there's a soundbite that would really address everything that they might say about this, but uh, they were talking about the scourge of ransomware writ large across the world. And of course, this is an example of exactly that. So really their response is what they put in the report. And they made it clear that uh, extensive cooperation, coordination across governments and the private sector, those are vital, um, that ransom shouldn't be paid, but there should be some structured pathways for some kind of assistance for organizations that get affected by ransomware, um, what form that will exactly take is, you know, yet to be seen, but some of it had to do with how uh, the insurance industry is going to come into play in all of this. But so they had a lot of different recommendations and it's, it is worth uh, checking out that report, which we linked to in, I think it was episode 84, if people are curious about that. A great reminder, Tim. And I want to take a, a very hard right turn uh, to a concept we really haven't discussed on the podcast, which is the myth of the air gap. So can you explain to our listeners what this myth is and how it applies to this particular situation? Yes, there is a mythical land once upon a time fogged in mystery and uh, no, uh, the <laughs> keen listener might recall that when we briefly touched on this uh, pipeline incident in the last episode, I referred to a sort of semi-permeable membrane between IT and OT operations in industrial control environments. So there's a theory 
that any control network should be entirely isolated from other networks. And that's an air gap where there's literally no wire, no wireless, no kind of data communications between those uh, environments. Now, this is um, this just isn't actually the reality. It's very rare for there to be a full on air gap. One of the only cases that I'm aware of uh, is in the control systems for nuclear power plants. But in just about every other case, there's a certain amount of data flow between the IT and OT environments. And, you know, this is typically pretty strictly controlled through segmentation, access control lists, firewalls, et cetera. And in some environments, they also use something called a data diode, which allows traffic in one direction only, which, you know, in the case of a control network would be outbound, not inbound. Um, but it's not an air gap. And for a whole lot of reasons, there, there really never will be almost. So I think the myth uh, of the air gap here persists for a couple of reasons. And one is that a lot of folks just assume that the networks really are set up that way, air gapped. And another is that there, there are organizations out there who will have network segmentation or strict firewall rules, and they'll, they'll literally call that an air gap, which of course it isn't. Um, so I think those are part of the reasons why this kind of persists. The myth persists concerning. Well, thank you for describing that, Tim. I think that's extremely useful. And, and the last question I really have for you before we get into our hoodie ratings, not so surprisingly, is what has been the impact um, of this incident as far as we know thus far? Yeah, so I, I see you're using the singular impact and the reality is there are many. Um, you know, of course, uh, I and millions of other people can never unsee the images of a really wicked case of plumber's crack on a guy filling a gas station uh, gas can somewhere. <laughs> that was unfortunate. And the uh, uh, plastic bag thing. But again, actually, that wasn't from this incident. But another impact um, is dark side uh, has uh, taken the first part of their name seriously and kind of gone dark. Um, they did say that some of their uh, servers, as well as access to some of the payments, um, had been taken away from them. But I, they won't stay in hiding forever, I'm guessing. Maybe they'll do some rebranding, kind of like Altria, which, you know, that doesn't sound like the name of a cigarette company, uh, right? But um, maybe we should have a contest to guess what their new name is going to be if they make a new name. Um, I don't think they're going to be gone for good, unfortunately. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, let's, let's jump into our hoodie ratings. And for those who are just tuning in for the first time, this is our one to 10 scale. We of course have, uh, we're playing off the cliche of hackers and hoodies and how many it would take to resolve a particular issue. So the higher the hoodie rating, the worse off we are. So, Chad, after listening to Tim, what would you rate this at? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the dark side ransomware attack, um, it, it's disrupted a lot of things, right? It made a lot of noise. Um, and that's probably going to be um, bad for them as a group. It does go to show, though, particularly with the pipeline here, that for public utilities um, and for necessary infrastructure, that some groups are willing to pay. And that's $5 million. It's a pretty big um, chunk of change. So if anything, that's encouraging for uh, other ransomware groups to look around, right? And as we um, are going to go into later, uh, that's kind of happening. We're seeing, you know, today uh, 
Avedon Ransomware Group, um, Busted Capital Group in uh, France. Um, we've got, you know, Conti, of course, being active um, in Ireland and uh, and everywhere else. So it's, uh, yeah, I'd go with like 8 out of 10, mostly because I feel like uh, this incident, like, it just shows that uh, there are still people willing to pay. And um, I mean, the fact that they have uh, such large finances, these groups um, shows that people are willing to pay. Uh, if you see how much money goes into those Bitcoin wallets. But um, yeah, that uh, it's it's a real problem. Oh, boy. Well said. But, and would you agree with that rating, Tim? You know, as tempting as it is to be edgy and give a differing opinion I'm, I think Chad was right on the money with an eight with this one. This was a pretty serious attack. I'm a little bit tempted almost to go higher than that, but the badness of the attack was offset in my mind a little bit by the pretty good response that Colonial made as far as taking a cautious approach, turning off the pipeline, even though that was very painful to do. Um, now, as far as paying the ransom, that's a little controversial. I am glad that I'm not the one that had to make the decision about whether to pay or not. But anyway, yeah, put me down for eight hoodies for this one, too. Troubling indeed. So we'll keep a close eye on this. And not so surprisingly, the second article we're going to discuss today is also regarding ransomware. Um, and this is titled Irish Health Service on Life Support. A cyber attack on Irish Health Service computer systems is possibly the most significant cybercrime attack on the Irish state, according to a minister over there. So, Chad, this is clearly a massive incident. How is the HSE, or the Health and Safety Executive, how were they made aware of this attack, and what exactly were they made aware of? Yeah, so, last Friday, early morning, uh, HSE was told there was a significant ransomware event uh, affecting their core systems. Um, so this is affecting, you know, multiple hospitals um, and elsewhere. It's all these systems that are connected with both local and national uh, core health systems. Uh, luckily, it was just healthcare records that were hit um, and no actual like life-saving systems or equipment, which is something they were quick to come out and say. Um, you know, everything was still sort of running uh, with a very large delay. Of course, no records were available, uh, but they were able to keep emergency services and all up. So, um, you know, but the core health uh, record-keeping systems were what were attacked. Interesting. Well, with this in mind... Then how did the HSC respond? So from what I read, they immediately contacted their uh, NCSC or the National Cybersecurity Center. A lot of nations have those. It's just a, you know, uh, uh, it's a, yeah, a group you basically call when you have a big problem um, in, in government um, with cybersecurity. But, uh, and they put into effect a crisis response plan that the NCSC had already planned for. Um, and super props to them for having that in place. Uh, having this already in place probably saved them several million dollars in their response time. Um, you know, I believe they contracted McAfee uh, to bring them in and uh, work with the NCSC to work this event. So uh, in this case, they shut down several of their systems to contain the problem. A lot of the hospitals that were affected um, just shut down, canceled all their outpatients um, for the day, unless it was something, you know, there was a major emergency. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was quite heavy how far it reached and what it affected. It's still going on, yeah. Do we have any sense at this time as to who targeted Irish health services or how they gained access and successfully carried out this ransomware attack? Yeah, so the... 
what the um, HSC put out is uh, they said this is a human powered ransomware attack, which, um, you know, points to these sophisticated gangs. Uh, typically, you know, what we have now is uh, there'll be an initial intrusion set and then it'll move on to, um, you know, one of many affiliate ransomware operators. And they'll quickly spread um, that across the network and then execute things all at once. In the case of, you know, some groups like um, Ryuk, that's known to be very quick. Uh, in the case of others, uh, you know, a little bit slower, but um, it can be anywhere from just a couple days to a couple weeks. Uh, in this case, well, the reporting that I read, so this is Conti Ransomware Group, uh, which is behind the intrusion, uh, which is uh, interesting because I thought they were one of the groups that refused to attack hospitals during COVID, uh, like Revol. Um, were, but maybe that was Avedon. I'm mixing that up. But uh, either way, Connie is tied to um, TrickBot and Bizarre Loader, Loader as the initial infection vector. Um, and then, you know, typical ransomware after that. Have there been any statements from the HSC? How have they been handling this situation, relatively speaking? Several, actually. Yeah, I think they've been um, very transparent. You know, first and foremost, they said that they would not be paying the ransom whatsoever. Uh, so props to them for that. Always lovely, um, you know, especially after the pipeline payout, um, several million dollars to the dark side gang, like we talked about before here. It's it's always nice to see um, that people refuse to pay out um, to these groups. Uh, HSC also said that it was the most significant cyber attack that has happened on the Irish state. And if you look at wh- how widespread this effect has been, how hospitals have been shut down for days, um, you know, that certainly seems to be the case. Uh, they also mentioned that they were working with McAfee, um, like I said before, uh, to rectify the issue. Um, so they seem to be in good hands there. You know, McAfee's worked plenty of incidents. Uh, so uh, hopefully they'll get this all cleared up as soon as possible. And Chad, we have seen countless ransomware attacks. I mean, we've covered two articles just today, um, especially in the midst of the pandemic, and many of them targeting healthcare organizations. What is the impact of this attack? And have we been desensitized to this rampant issue? Yeah, it certainly is. You know, I was spending a lot of time thinking about this the other day as I read through the Verizon Deber report. Um, on intrusions over the last year. It's intriguing because if you look at what you see in the news um, versus what's in the report of actual hard data, uh, you kind of get a different picture. Like the medical industry um, really hasn't been attacked as much as the public sector been, almost by like nearly a quarter or a fifth amount of intrusions. Uh, I think we've heard about hospitals and health systems a lot because it makes a big story. Uh, but the truth is that there's lots of ransomware happening all the time uh, that we don't really even hear about. If you go and look at the statistics in that report, uh, there's just, yeah, lots of intrusions across uh, many industries. And those are the ones that are reported. Um, but uh, there's some even then that write, uh, don't get reported at all, even to make it into the Deber report. Um, so these high profile cases, they make the news um, and they're kind of whales. You know, these groups are getting a lot of money. Uh, and that's uh, why we end up hearing about these ones. But so many little ones fly under the radar where someone probably pays $100,000, $200,000 just to kind of keep their company chugging along. Well, Chad, now that you've had a chance to debrief uh, Tim, Tim, I'd be curious, going back to that hoodie rating, what you'd rate this at. So I think there's sort of some offsetting factors here. There's the severity of the incident, and then there's the response, uh, which has, as Chad said, had a lot um, a lot that HSE did uh, correctly. So... Um, I, I'm going to go with six uh, as kind of balancing out some 
some goodness of the overall story with some badness of the ransomware itself. And Chad, how do you feel about that rating? Would you agree? I think, you know, this is a big, this is a big issue for Ireland and the HSC. Um, I'd, I'd probably put this one at nine out of 10, just cause it is, it's an attack that really affected a lot of people directly, like having to cancel all those outpatient services um, for the day, be down to, you know, very, like imagine having an emergency at this moment and having to go in and they can't even access your health records right now. So don't know that say you're allergic to sulfites or something, right? Like, um, and go to give you some basic medication that, uh, isn't, uh, going to treat you well. So, um, yeah, this is just a big problem. I'd give it a nine out of 10. Well, thank you both for your in-depth coverage on both of those articles. I do think it's time for some levity. So let's play our game, Two Truths and a Lie. And this is very similar to the original Two Truths and a Lie. And every week, one of our co-hosts comes up with three article titles, two of which are true, one of which is a lie. And they try to deceive the other co-hosts. So um, this week, and of course, there's a point system, Chad is up. And you've got some work to do because I believe... uh, I believe Tay-Tay, our special guest, might have taken a notch out of your uh, your score there. So I think you might be down a point. Well, you, you, you only gained points, but you, you did not gain a point last week. What a dingus. <laughs> All right, Chad. Hit us with your best shot. We're going with vulnerability themed this week and all RCEs. Remote code execution. Um, So, uh, article number one. Reliable RCE found in popular first-person shooter, Counter-Strike Global Offensive. Article number two. Remote code execution found in Red Hat's Ansible Ops Automation Tool, threatening CICD pipelines. And number three. XM 21 nails vulnerability containing 21 total vulns, including RCEs and use after freeze gets a reliable POC posted online. Well done, Chad. These are tough. Yeah, seriously. I feel like I need to just pick one out of a hat or at random. I think the, the vulnerability theme uh, is uh, just doing the theme is a good route. It is cheeky to say the least. Hmm. Yeah. I always put my lie first. Oh, awesome. So the fourth thing was his lie. I got it. I got it. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to go with my guess here. And again, this is just on a whim. I'm going to say the second one is the lie. I'm going to go with the first one, but... I don't know. I'm, it bothers me because the first one sort of seems obvious, like that that might be made up. So it's probably not made up. Um, and really, I have no idea. <laughs> so uh, I'll go with the first one. All right. Kelsey, you are correct. Woo! The second one is a lie. Ansible operates over SSH. So it always reaches out. There is no, uh, well, I mean, unless you're talking about the Ansible like platform, but Ansible, the tool itself is uh, a tool that reaches out. It does not accept connections. Well, so, Kelsey. Oh my gosh. 
Well, thank you, Chad. I feel very lucky. I think I might go gambling now. Try my luck. But more importantly, Tim, you mentioned something earlier in the podcast, and I think it'd be fun to give the audience some context. I believe it was the term cybercrime. Oh, yeah. I made an in-joke there about cybercriminals or cybercrimers. Uh, what was it? I think we had a typo at some point in the early days of, well, the early days of the InfoSec iteration of domain tools. And um, sci- an extra S got in there, cybercrime. And we all just decided we liked the way that sounded. So within our halls, cybercrime was heard frequently. It's kind of it's kind of gone away a little bit, so I'm trying to bring it back. <laughs> I think that was in the Domain Tools report, I want to say, is when Cyberscribe first appeared, and now we shall bring it back, but halt it all at the same time. Oh, and before I forget, we just had a new Domain Tools report go out, so it's well worth a read. It was written by Tim Helming and our principal data scientist, uh, John Turbo Conwell, so you should definitely go take a look. Yes, go read it. We we beat the Deber report, by the way, by a day. So I think that Verizon was really just copycatting us. They went, oh, crap. Domain Tools released their report again. We better do a Deber real fast. Everybody's pulling an all-nighter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 100% sure that's what happened. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, thank you both for being on the podcast. It's nice to have you back, Chad. It's always nice to have you, Tim. And of course, we'll be back next week for another episode of Breaking Badness. Can't wait to see you then. Sounds fun. Don't drink and scrime. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.